Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you all again this morning. One little correction. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Josh, thank you for leading us in prayer. Thank you for uh, not just leading us in prayer this morning, just the uh, the gift you are to this church. You and Katie are a tremendous gift to this body, and we are so grateful for you. And um, I'm just so proud of you and, and just the way you serve in this church. If you know Jack and Katie, you just know what a gift they are. And if you don't, I just I mean, I think one of the strengths of this church, one of the deep strengths of this church is just the mutual care. It's just a culture of mutual care that just takes place every day in countless ways. And I don't know of anybody that has helped create and just sustain that culture more than Jack and Katie. They just they just care for the body so well. And so I'm just grateful for you, Jack, and Excited to hear. I think over the next couple of weeks we'll be hearing some other care group leaders and updates. So, um, but yeah, grateful that we can be doing that together. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 43 this morning. So I don't know if they still do this in in high school yearbooks. It's actually uh, been a, been a minute since I've been in high school, but um, they used to like vote for certain awards at yearbook time, so they'd be like printed in the yearbook. So you know, best athlete or class clown or best hair. You know, like they you get awards for that. And, I never won best athlete or best hair, but uh, you kind of get the idea. So you would vote on, on these different things, and, and they always had one that I just, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this award, but they always had this one that was called most likely to succeed, right? So they would have this award for most likely to succeed, and they never really defined, you know, who, who was up for that award, but, but, you know, it was just, when you, you thought about it, it was just like, well, who's the person in this class most likely to become famous or wealthy or just make a name for themselves in some other positive right or in some other positive way. And and you know who that award always went to, right? I mean, you know, even though there was no criteria, they didn't list sort of like what you needed to vote for, it always went to the person who was either just the smartest kid in the class or who was the most, you know, most attractive kid in the class or just the one who sort of came from the home with like, you know, just everybody in town knew their parents and they were influential parents, like sort of had the best pedigree, you know what I mean? And there was just this sense of, well, if you have the best start and if you seem to fit the part, you just sort of project from there of who is going to be successful. And it was just easy to see how they'd get the vote, right? So that there's this human way of thinking that success is a certain pedigree or a certain look. It's just obvious from the start of who, of what success looks like and who will be successful. You know, I think that sort of thinking is, is, is maybe fine for a yearbook, right? Sometimes you might look back and say, hey, they got it right. This, this person was a success. And oftentimes it might be humorously wrong when you kind of think about who you voted for. But I think there can be something tempting and just very human about thinking like this, to, to look at something and just draw conclusions from that. But sadly, we often have this view of what success looks like when we, when we look at and how we interpret God's work in the world. And when we do this with, with how we view God at work in the world, where we just draw easy conclusions from how did something start to just what does it look like right now? What, what is this snapshot I'm taking? When we, when, when we view God's world through that, when we view God's, the, the, the sense of what is God doing in the world? What, what is his kingdom about? What is he doing in my own life? Sadly, it doesn't lead to humorous results. It really could not be more dangerous to just take a snapshot and to, to, to sort of draw out from early things to sort of how they will go. For sure, if we do this, if we sort of vote for sort of what's happening in the kingdom the way we do with who's sort of most likely to succeed in the yearbook, it really the results can be deadly. 
So Jesus, in three parables this morning, wants to draw our attention to this, that the harvest is obscured on earth, but glorious in heaven. The harvest is obscured on earth, but glorious in heaven. So let's read chapter, chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. It's three parables, and one, one is longer, um, and then two are short. And it's really a follow-up of, 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 of the previous section. Last, last week we looked at the parable of the sower. So it's coming right off of the parable of the sower. So it's, so it's one long parable and an explanation of that parable, and then two short parables put together really with this theme, that the harvest is obscured on earth, but glorious in heaven. So let's read together. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 31, and he put another parable for them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, the main point we're going to be looking at this morning is the harvest is obscured on earth, but glorious in heaven. So I just want to call these points or whatever, but just sort of four observations about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, So I want to make four observations about the kingdom from this passage and then talk about just two thoughts towards what is application. But four observations that Jesus is making about the kingdom of heaven. Observation number one is that earthly impact is hard to calculate. Earthly impact is hard to calculate. So, in this passage, these three parables are all of a, of a common theme. And in a sense, he's trying to make a, 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 the same point with, with all these parables, right? So this is why the, 
sort of Matthew sort of sort of groups them together, right? It might seem like an odd sort of like why did he you know why doesn't he just explain you know give the parable and explain the parable and then give the next parable? But he's doing but he sort of gives a parable and then gives two more and then goes back to explain sort of bookends the the, the parables together to sort of to, to intentionally link them all together. He, he's he's trying to draw a very clear sort of these these are linked together. These are a common theme. These are the common type. And so as we look at these parables, we're meant to look at the commonalities and what they are pointing to. And so in all of these, he is, he is comparing the, the kingdom of heaven to something else. So he, he's sort of making three distinct pictures of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in all of them, we, we see the scene that, that, is, that is voting on the kingdom that is most likely to succeed, the one that is most likely to impress, the kingdom that is most likely to catch the eyes of the world, and from humanly speaking, the one that seems most likely to last. He goes, that's not the kingdom of heaven. Right? That, 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 that what, what we see in heaven, what we see, right, and not just what, what began as small, but really what you might see at any time if you just take a look around you, you might think, this is small. This is unimpressive. This does not seem like God's plan is working in the world. So between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, the, the, in a sense, the kingdom of heaven would be, would be voted least likely to succeed. It's, it's like a mustard seed. It is tiny, is unimpressive, if you will. It is, it's the unlikeliest of all the seeds, of all the plants, to make it through, to make it through harsh weather, to make it through just sort of birds coming and picking at the ground, to make it through. It, it, it seems like it's the least likely to do. It, it is tiny. And it seems so vulnerable. Or, or then he compares it to, 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 to leaven. Now, sort of leaven, when you add it to something baking, so if you're add something to, when you're baking something and making something, like, if you were to add a little bit of it, you don't even notice, like, it's so small, it's such a tiny amount, you don't even notice it when you add it, right? So if you ever are cooking something, right, and you, you know, if you're baking, you're adding the flour, you're adding the sugar, you're adding the butter, you're adding the eggs, right? You can tell those things are there. Like, you might lose count of how much you're adding at some point when you're doing all this, but you're not wondering, like, what well, did I put in the eggs? Like, it, it's obvious. Like, oh yeah, it turns yellow. Like, I, I put it in, right? Like, you just look and you know and it's obvious. Okay, this is part of this. But let me, you don't even, like if you forget to put it in, you wouldn't even notice that you forgot to put it in because it's such a tiny little piece. It just seems so inconsequential and so unimportant to the success of what you're making because it's so tiny. So you're adding just, just cups and cups and cups of other things and this just seems like it's just sort of this bit player that, that's barely consequential to it. And he says, well, it's like this field that gets planted but then weeds are planted right beside it. And at times you might look at the field and, and, and just, it would seem like the weeds are even overwhelming the good plants. So like, let's just cut it all down. This isn't working. Like this, this field's a mess. Like there's all these weeds in here. And from the surface, you might even be going by and just see, the, the weeds might even seem to be indistinguishable from the good plants. See, if you were to look at the field, it would seem that the life of the plants would be short-lived because it's just a field full of weeds. So from an earthly perspective, from the here and now perspective, the kingdom of heaven seems very unlikely to make it. It seems crowded out by the weeds. It seems like not much is happening. There's just not a lot going on with the kingdom. And you might look around at any moment in, in, in our lives and in our times and just say, it appears, when I turn on the news, that Satan appears to be winning. That God's that God's primary place, sort of God, the God's primary mission arm, the local church, seems to have very little impact on the community around them. 
In our own life, trials and pain can just seem so arbitrary and meaningless that we've all faced things that just seem like, where this situation just seems beyond hope. Often in our own lives, if we were just to look down, growth would seem so stagnant at times. See, just in my being fruitful and impacting others around me, it can seem so hard to discern that at times. At any given moment, Satan appears to have more influence on this culture than Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to project ahead and just think, boy, the church's impact seems likely to shrink and not grow. It can seem at times that the kingdom of God, that at times the church is so insignificant in the world. And it's just going to fade out of relevance. That her best days are behind her. And Jesus is noting, yeah, that's, that's what the kingdom is going to look like. It's going to have a very unimpressive beginning. It's going to appear, if you don't know what the judge on, it's going to be unlikely to make it. So praise God that that's not the real story. So the second observation that we have is success is not possible, it's inevitable. Success is not possible, but inevitable. So the story of the kingdom is that it's hard to measure the impact, right? It's hard to measure what it's doing. And it has a very unimpressive beginning. It has a very small beginning. But growth and life does indeed happen in the kingdom. But it's not just that sort of sort of, sort of what God plants grows and sort of the, there's growth individually happening over here and here. But what happens in the kingdom, it's not just that the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is impacting everything around it. It's not only finding life and finding life and growing itself. It is giving life to everything around it. So in the field, what happens? Grain grows and then it's harvested. Now, we grow soon. We're going to talk more about them. But we need to notice, weeds do not prevent the growth of the harvest. It does not prevent the wheat from growing. But then, not only does this harvest eventually happen, does the wheat eventually grow, what does wheat do when it's harvested, right? Is that the end of the food cycle? Hey, like the farmer just tucked up some wheat and laid it on the ground, and now we're all fed. So, no, what, what happens is wheat provides things to, and life to others, right? It, sort of, it just sort of goes with the food cycle, with the chain, right? It just sort of, it, it doesn't just stop with, oh, wheat's harvested, now it's, go, now it's done. But the harvest goes on to provide things for others, for animals and people. It sort of gives life to all around it, this harvest does. And this yeast, what, what does yeast do in, in this? It literally feeds the dough, right? If you know how it works, like you just put a little bit in, and the dough just grows and grows and grows. It's, it's not just an ingredient that's sort of helpful for the recipe. It multiplies its size. It's sort of what makes something, sort of when it comes out of, you know, of, of the oven, it's sort of what makes it big and impressive and good. And, and he says here, he adds it until it's all leavened. And, and so what, what he's saying is you, you just add a little bit in. It just takes a little bit in, and it affects the entire output. Every, every sort of bite in that food is affected by the leaven that went in. So my favorite, my favorite cookie um, is my, my daughter makes these M&M cookies, and they are just they're really good. Um, but my favorite, my favorite M&M cookies, so whenever like, they're on a plate, I'm, like, um, I'm that guy that like, like goes and like, will set them along and like, if I can, I turn them upside down and I see which ones I want. And um, I always pick the ones that have the most M&Ms, right? So that's the, that's the M&M cookie I pick is, is the one with the most M&Ms. Because my favorite part of the M&M cookie is, is the M&Ms that are inside the cookie, right? So I go and I pick out. 
But there's something about like M&Ms I recognize. It's just the tastiest ingredient, but it's like it's my favorite ingredient. But like you can take apart the M&M, like you could take out the M&M, and it's like it's just one ingredient, right? Do you think that the kingdom is not like one ingredient that goes in? It, 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 it leavens not like that. It's in every bit. It's it, like the whole, all the dough is, is in, has been just affected by this leaven. It, it's just you put it in and you watch the result. Every bite of it is just affected by this thing. It's not just that sort of there's an impact here or here or here. Everything is impacted by this leaven in this dough. Everything is impacted by the kingdom of God. And this mustard seed, which starts so small, becomes this big plant. And it's a plant in this region at that time that literally would just feed other species of birds. And it was really the center of this entire little ecosystem that would be around it. And, and it's funny, it's not just that it starts small and ends big. It, it, it's that it's, it's life-giving. It's that that's the nature of this mustard seed. It, it really creates this whole ecosystem around it. And he's noting that all these, they're not just three examples of something that happened to work or that sort of start small and end big, but, but or, and, and happen to at times sort of affect their surroundings and affect what it's near. And like, this is what they do. When you, when you plant wheat, it creates a harvest and it, and it feeds all around it. When you plant a mustard seed, it grows and, and it creates this ecosystem. Leaven, that's what leaven does in bread. Is it, just, it affects everything. It spreads and mustard seeds grow. It, it's what their nature is. And so the nature of the kingdom of God is that it grows and it gives life. And at any moment, it might look unimpressive to the uninformed, but it accomplishes its purposes. That the kingdom of God really is growing and advancing. God is accomplishing his purposes. God is accomplishing his purposes in the world through his church, and his kingdom is growing. Despite what may appear at any given moment. You can say this with confidence because the third observation of the kingdom is that it is God who guarantees success. You know, I, um, I'm not much of a, of a farmer or a green thumb, but I do, um, I'm married to someone who it, like, just knows plants. Like, she's just, she's really good with plants. Like, she, she creates space. I mean, there's really remarkable, not just to grow plants, but you take a spot that's like, dead and lifeless and just create beauty out of it. It's, it's really something. But you, one of the things that, that I do know enough about, like, sort of planting and gardening, because we've, we've done enough of it over time, is it's really not sort of a, like, it's not about the seed that makes sort of, like, a plant grow. Like, I could go, like, I'm going to buy the seed, right, and I'll bring it home. And if I just put it on the shelf, like, we don't have good plants. If I just go and I just sort of randomly dig a hole and put it somewhere, like, we don't have plants coming out, right? It takes, not just sort of, it's not, a, it's not really incumbent on the seed to grow. It's not like I just get home and say, I say, do your thing now. What it's incumbent on is somebody that knows what to do with the seed, that puts it in the right spot, that works the ground, that just knows how to protect it from all the evil, protect it from the birds, protect it from all the things, protect it from the sun, right amount of water, right amount of sun, right amount of light, like all this kind of stuff. And then what happens when you put it in somebody that knows what they're doing? The seed grows and the seed thrives. What happens if you just sort of throw a bunch of leaven in a recipe? Who knows? But if you have somebody that knows the right amount to put in in the right timing, what happens? It just spreads through it all. What happens if you just throw a bunch of mustard seed on the ground? Birds are going to come and take it out. So why does the, why does the mustard tree grow? Because somebody worked the ground and made, and made it grow, put it right in the right spot, and sort of protected it and created the environment. 
it's not it's not just that sort of oh there's there's the, the, the moral of the story that boy there's really good seed and aren't, aren't we aren't we the best and so we're going to grow and we're going to have no it, it's God who guarantees success. The woman baking knew the right amount. She didn't just grab a handful and hope. She was skillful to know the results. The man who planted the mustard seed, he sowed the field, he readied the ground. He knew how vulnerable the seed would be. The harvester, he knew just the right time to wait until all the harvest was ready before he sent his work and said, now's the time to bring it up. You know, in the field, there's two sellers. There's the, one's the son of man and the other is the devil. But there's only one owner of the field. There's only one who determines its fate. And for a while, that, those weeds might look like the real harvest, but they are nothing alike. The master of the field is the one that sure is the one to make sure that the true harvest is brought in and destruction is brought to all the weeds, to all the lawbreakers, to all the causes of sin. They will move to destruction they deserve. But it's the master that guarantees what he plants. It's the master that guarantees the growth. It's it's not incumbent on the seed. It's not incumbent on the leaven. It's incumbent on the master to to make sure growth happens. And so, he guarantees what he plants will grow and will be part of the harvest in the end. He's the one who guarantees that his kingdom will advance. Listen, the kingdom will advance through Christians, and through the church. But it's because of God that the kingdom advances. Fourth observation about the kingdom of God is that God's heart is for the harvest. God's heart is for the harvest. So he is the the master harvester. He is the one who at the end of the age says that the harvest will be reaped. And all evil will be done away with. But I don't know if you've ever had this question, like, but in the meantime, like, what is he waiting for? Where in this field, like, his, his glory seems to be obstructed by human eyes. It seems like the kingdom is making no impact. It seems like the church is making no impact. It seems that evil is running everywhere. And it would seem, if you just were to look at the field and you just take a casual glance, that Satan himself is just as good a sower as God. So in verse 27, they're asking, do you even know what you're doing? Like, didn't you plant good seed? Like, what's wrong with this field? I, I thought you were in control. Yet why are there just weeds just growing everywhere? Why hasn't he just come? What is he waiting for? So in verse 30 says, At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the wheat into the barns. But, but in the meantime, there, there's all these questions. And all, all this sort of people are almost derisive at him. So like, what? It doesn't look like you know what you're doing. There's just all these doubts along the way. When you look at the field and it's full of weeds and it's full of plants, but what is he waiting for? What? What could possibly be the explanation for for why there are so many weeds in the garden right now? Well, he's waiting for more harvest. Verse 29 makes it very clear. I don't want any wheat uprooted before it's time. I'm waiting for all the wheat to be brought into the barn. All the wheat that's supposed to be there needs to be there in the end. Church, the harvest is going to come. 
There will be a day where Satan, where all that Satan has sown, where all the, where all the destruction he has laid, where all the ugly effects of sin will just be completely reversed, will be completely destroyed, where all Satan has sown will lead to his own destruction. And that the reality of the church will not be relative obscurity, but will be shining in blazing glory. So they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The future of the church is not marginalization or heartache or pain or Satan having any effect. But we patiently endure because God wants more harvest. He wants more to be brought into the barn. He wants all the harvest to be brought in. So he endures. He endures his glory being unperceived, and he patiently endures. And praise God, he endures. On the day of reaping, I'm going to be safely in the barn because God has endured. Because he has patiently endured. So, the church in this age needs to recognize that when it looks like the world is advancing, when it looks like the church is marginalized, we joyfully endure because the future is sure. Because God will bring the fullness of His harvest in. So, two implications from this text for each of us this morning. And implication number one is to simply make sure you know which harvest you belong to. And you need to note that for a while, they might look similar on earth. They're in the same field, driving by. They might look just as tall as one another. They're in the same spot. You know, the, it, it, in the present, the true and the false harvest right next to each other, growing right alongside each other, might look even indistinguishable from each other. But in the future, their future could not be more different. And the harvester knows which he will gather and which he will destroy. He knows where each, and he will assure that each goes where it ultimately belongs. Listen, The harvest isn't like, oh, everybody in this church is part of the harvest and everybody who's not part of the church is not, is not part of the harvest. Listen, you, you might go to the same church with the true harvest. You, you can be nice. You can look for a while like a Christian that does not make you part of the true harvest. And I'm not wondering if you could fool some people or your parents or your pastor. You can fool a lot of people a lot of the time. But we need to be very clear, the harvester knows. So you need to make sure you know which one you're part of. And he is so patient to not reap yet. He is so patient to not uproot you from the field yet. But don't fool yourself. The harvest and the separation will happen. It's a fixed date. You just don't know when it is yet. And these parables are meant to paint a picture. They're meant to give it a sense of something. Now, it doesn't give a sense of every detail of how everything works, but, but it's meant to give a sense of something. And 
he, this, this, he is painting this picture to, to make you sure that there is a surety of, of on that final day there will be judgment, there will be two harvests, and he is presenting it not just in a way of factual information, but as an appeal. Do not be in the wrong harvest. So how do I make sure I go to the right one? Well, it's very simple. Put your faith in the Son of Man who sows. Put your faith in the Son of Man. Lean in and press into the Son of Man. Press into Jesus Christ. And what he doesn't tell you in this parable is the great irony of this is that the Son of Man is the one who himself endured the fiery furnace we deserve so that we would shine like the sun as only he deserves. But to be what part of the harvest isn't about putting on externals. It's not trying to look more like wheat. It's about placing your faith in the Son of Man and trusting in Him to endure. Second implication of this passage is, is really the question I want to ask, and it's simply this: Do you live more aware of the weeds that surround you, or by the one who began, by the one who sowed, and who promises to be who complete what he started, who promises fruitfulness to his work? And he will bring you safely back with him at the very end. Listen, the kingdom of heaven. Listen, he as he as he plants seed all around him. As he as he does with his, his what we need to recognize, there will be weeds everywhere in the field we are in. He has planted us into a world, and there are simply weeds everywhere. We have our own. We have our own sins that, that, that entangle us. We have, we have Satan himself working in the field around us. We have trials. And at any given moment, it may make you think, I, I, might, I might not make it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get choked out by all the weeds that are around me. Might be tempted to even think, maybe, maybe he's put me in the wrong field. Maybe God doesn't really know what he's doing because of just how much weeds there are all around me. Listen, Satan loves to sow, and he loves to make it hard to see. Our view on earth is, is just obscured by, by what he sows and what he places all around us. It's just Our vision is limited because of just how active he is sowing in our field. But we need to make no mistake, God will lose none of his harvest. He will complete and he will gather so this is a call to simply take our eyes of, of all the weeds around us, to not be sort of obscure our view by just the weeds around us and be distracted by the weeds around us, but this is a call to put our eyes on him again, to trust that he really does know what he's doing. The church and our mission, listen, at times they will look unspectacular. At times it's going to look like what we do as a, as a church is, is very unspectacular. It feels like, okay, it barely seems to be having an impact on, on the world around us, but listen, we need to recognize the future of the church is glorious. And so we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep working, we're going to keep growing, we're going to keep doing unspectacular things, and God will produce a glorious field and a glorious future. Listen, we are in a field of weeds now. That's where we live, that's where we work, that's where we labor. That's not our identity. And that's not our destination. We need to keep our eyes on Him as we labor in this field. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be a people who increasingly 
are not discouraged or not believing something to be wrong when, when growth around us is slow, when impact around us is slow. But Lord, we take you at your word that though in human eyes with a very limited understanding with just eyes that are focused on here now, Lord, it, it can feel like, like what Satan is sowing is winning, that, that he's more at work in the world than you are, that we're in the wrong place. But Lord, would you help us to daily place our confidence in you, that you really do know what you're doing. You have planted us in the right spot and that you will complete the work you began, that you will gather all the true harvest to be with you. So would you give us confidence in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.